Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Doug Winter, the co-founder and CEO of Seismic, a sales enablement platform that helps organizations better engage with customers and grow revenue. In 2010, Doug and his co-founders launched their bootstrap business out of a basement in San Diego with the vision of helping companies solve their content management problems. Initially, they decided to focus on a solution for sales and marketing teams, but at the time, sales enablement wasn't even a product category, so they really struggled to position their product in the minds of their customers. In this episode, we unpack that story and share Doug's journey including why Doug and his co-founders decided to bootstrap the business for the first couple of years instead of fundraising, and why that turned out to be the right decision. Why they decided to target enterprise customers from day one instead of working their way up market, and the challenges they faced as a startup selling to large organizations. And we talk about how they've grown Seismic from a bootstrap business to a SaaS company doing over $300 million in ARR, 2,200 customers, and having raised $450 million in funding. I hope you enjoy it. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to JotForm Tables. JotForm Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in JotForm Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing JotForm forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. JotForm Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with JotForm tables for free today at sasclub.io slash JotForm. That's sasclub.io slash JotForm. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey there, SaaS founders. Are you looking to grow your B2B SaaS business to the first million in annual recurring revenue? I've got something that can help you. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly source of proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with successful B2B SaaS founders who've been in your shoes and are ready to share what they've learned. Each week, you'll get a quick five-minute read delivered straight to your inbox full of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you tackle those early stage challenges and grow your business to seven figures and beyond. So what are you waiting for? Head over over to sasclub.io slash newsletter and join over 4,000 other SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already using these insights to grow their businesses. Subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today and get the support you need to keep moving forward on your SaaS journey. 
Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Do you have a quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? Oh, my favorite My favorite quote, it's it's John Wooden. You've got to be a little bit, a certain vintage to know who John Wooden is. But uh, things turn out best for those that make the best of the way things turn out. I think... I've leaned on that one the last two years, two and a half years, I'd say more than more than I, I wish I had to. But I think it's a great quote. It really talks about focusing on the things you can control and not worrying as much about the things that you can't control. And I think in these crazy times of COVID and pandemic and social unrest and, and now whatever this is that we're going through today, I think that one was one that really resonates with me. It's awesome. So tell us about Seismic. What does the product do? And it's quite an extensive product. Who's it for? And, and what's the main problem that you're helping to solve? Yeah, it is quite an extensive product. And, you know, 12 years into the journey now, we've got a team of almost 500 people that have been working on that product for, for over a decade. And sometimes I see all the capabilities. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. But the fundamental problem is a, is a simple one, which is um, selling, especially enterprise sales, is hard. It's very difficult. And it's harder than ever today where you have customers who are out there doing a ton of research about you before they are, ever call you as a salesperson. So they know a lot of answers before they ever call you where companies have more and more products and solutions in their bag. So this, the actual knowledge base of what you're supposed to know about and, and, and sell has is, is gone through the, through the roof. And, and it's tough. You're, you're now in a remote world where you're probably not going to be concluding deals on the golf course or, or over a steak dinner. You're going to be face to face over a, a Zoom call or a WebEx call or something like that. It's, it's made it really, really difficult. And so we're really attacking sales enablement at the highest level in my mind. It's make sellers better through the use of technology. And, and being able to do that in a way that they, they know what to say, what to share, what to do, and they can navigate all the content that's used in the sales process, whether those are, you know, G slides of PowerPoint decks, white papers, videos, or just plain old questions and answers that, uh, and being able to respond to those things. Doing that quickly, doing that professionally, doing that in a way that's differentiated for your from your competition, training and onboarding of reps is, is also a big part of, of being able to make them more effective. So whether it's onboarding a new rep, which is doubly important in a world where there's so much turnover and the great resignation, or whether it's supporting training of reps when you launch a new product or go into a new market, being able to do that well, get reps more efficient, more quickly is a huge cha challenge and, and super impactful. You know, there's probably not too many board meetings that happen where the board members aren't asking the CEO, how are you doing with your sales capacity and ramping up new reps and what's your rep turnover and what's your attainment rate? And so our products really are focused on helping to solve those, those sets of problems. Now, you said you had about 500 people who've been working on the product for the last decade, but team size overall, you have about 1,500 employees. Is that right? Yes, we're about 1,500 employees. Yeah. And about 2,500 customers. Where are you in ARR? Yeah, we're, we're just at 300 million in, in revenue run rate now. So it's crazy how, how we've grown over the years. It's been a fun journey. Did you have any idea that the business would be this size when you started like 12 years ago? You know, what, what's really funny is I, I think all of us entrepreneurs, you create a business plan 
and you go into that wonderful feature in Excel or you can just grab the column in the corner and drag it to the right and watch watch the growth just happen, right? And you see the customer count and you see the revenue and you see the employee count go. And um, I can tell you standing on stage and looking out at 1,500 people is way different than looking at a spreadsheet and, and seeing in the number 1,500 in that column. So on one hand, yes, absolutely. We, we knew this was a big opportunity and our vision and, and, and dream was to grow here and, and beyond. On the other hand, it's, it, is, it is definitely surreal at times. I want to talk a little bit about sales enablement because I think let's just do a quick 101 on that. I think everybody listening to this has probably heard the term sales enablement. They probably have some vague understanding of it. Maybe others understand it better. Obviously, there's a technology aspect to this, and this is where Seismic fits in. But can you just tell us what your perspective is, how you see that, and what is the opportunity for businesses to really embrace and think kind of more strategically about how they approach sales enable? Yeah, absolutely. So we recently launched what we're calling the seismic enablement cloud and it really is a a step function change in the field of sales enablement from being very tactical you know i'm creating training for my teams or i'm organizing creating content for a product launch to something that's much more strategic in that you're you now have the tools and the capabilities to have a, a plan of what you want your enablement programs to look like and where you need content and where you need training. You can track progress against that plan. You can assign the pieces out because enablement, you know, while it's a, it's a rich function on its own, it really relies on a lot of others, product marketing, for example, to build content that's going to be shared in support of the sales team and come up with the stories that are going to be needed and, you know, be able to create the right set of materials and to support the training needs and onboarding needs. So making that and, and understanding that it's a very strategic function and with targets and goal and timelines, you know, is a big change that really we enabled with the, the launch of the enablement cloud. Any major strategic initiative has to have a closed loop. You need to look at the results. You know, are, are they actually getting the results that you expected them to? So if they said all the right things that you think they should be saying, and they're still not winning the deals, well, maybe you have a different problem or they're losing deals, but you realize they're not using the content the way that you intended the content to be used. Then the problem that you have is one of training around your process or your playbooks. So, you know, getting a very strategic and continuous and closed loop view of how is my sales team doing and how are my individual sellers doing is really what the enablement cloud is all about. And, and I think increasingly, we see organizations of all sizes, but certainly bigger organizations who view this as an incredibly strategic area. You know, when, when we started on this journey, I'll tell you that we spent half the sales cycle, you know, convincing someone that enablement was important and they needed to spend money on it and, and, and build a budget for next year. And now we routinely meet with a VP of enablement and she's got a team of 20 people and a significant budget, and they know they need these technology tools. They're just trying to figure out who the right partner is to work with. So the market has really come around to realize this is a strategic function. And we believe, I, you know, I believe strongly that with the enablement cloud, we're now putting in place some of the, the final pieces that enable you to take a very strategic view and not just be you know, very tactical. Great. So let's go back to 2010. Where did the idea for this product 
come from? Yeah, so it's kind of a fun story. Previous company that we had were working at together was uh, in this space of content, content management, content customization. We ended up getting purchased by EMC. We were part of the EMC Documentum stack, and you know what we realized was that you know the world was changing, and that and that the the new paradigm was going to be SaaS, and it was going to be cloud. And, and we looked at, you know, what Salesforce was doing at the time and said, what did they do? Well, they took CRM, which was a known area. They made it a whole lot easier to use, <clears throat> kind of consumerized it, made it a lot easier to use. They used a new tech stack, which was a cloud, and they used a new business model, which was a subscription and changed the world. And what did Workday do? Well, they took PeopleSoft in some ways, literally, and redid that capability new technology stack, new business model, you know, changed the world. And NetSuite was doing the same for ERP. And we thought, well, nobody's really doing this for the problems of content. And we looked around us and we saw really big, hard, important problems that didn't have great solutions. You know, there, there were big businesses being built around those. And I won't, I won't throw any of the, their names under the bus, but they had grown big businesses with products that uh, customers really didn't like, but they needed. And we thought, wow, we've got an opportunity here to do what Salesforce had done, but do it in the area of content, content management. And we had also the experience of many sales and marketing organizations coming to us and saying, can you help us with the problem that we have in sales and marketing? Sometimes they would say, can you help us with our PowerPoint problem? We're drowning in PowerPoint decks. We need, we need to do better. And the truth was that those products that existed at that point in time were terrible for the needs of sales and marketing where things needed to move really fast, right? You couldn't rely on your IT team and a one-year project when you had a product launch to support or a big event that you were sponsoring. You needed to move a lot faster. So we thought, let's start focused on sales and marketing, and then we can build more and more content solutions over time. And you know, early in that journey, we realized, you know, sales and marketing was a huge opportunity by itself. And we could go around content and add other capabilities and go much, much deeper there. And so we, we kind of had the original vision and we shifted it to really just go deeper and deeper into sales and marketing. I think a funny part is we didn't know what sales enablement was. We never heard that term it was two years in to the journey before we finally settled on, you know what, that is what we're doing. And let's own that term and help drive it forward. How did you describe the product in those first couple of years, because if you're going into a new category or you're going into a category that you don't know how to define, it's it's kind of a challenging place to be and the positioning is all over the place. How did that work for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great observation that, you know, defining a category is a lot different and a lot more work in a lot of ways than replacing an incumbent, you know, innovating around an, an incumbent in a well-established space. To be honest, we uh, we had many, many, many debates locked in our basement where we started the company trying to decide what what would we want to call ourselves and what was this category really going to end up being? And, you know, did we need to be in an existing category or could we create a new one? We had a lot of discussions and debates around it. And it was a critical, a critical decision because you do, you know, especially selling to enterprises, if you're not in some category that one of the analyst firms is covering, then people are like, I, I don't know if I need you. Why do I need you? You're not on this block diagram anywhere. Where do you where do you fit? But we just kept listening to the customers and the customers kept telling us we need this. This is important. And although there weren't fit for built for purpose tools out there, there weren't many built 
sales enablement specific tools, everyone somehow dealt with the problem of, you know, all their PowerPoint decks. And so the problem was real. Nobody argued about that, what it was called and how to best solve it with technology. That was where the the action was and, and where the discussions really went. So you've got the idea for this product. How did you get started? How long did you spend going out and talking to customers and trying to validate this idea? Did you start building a product fairly quickly or an MVP? And and how long did it take you to get something in front of potential customers? Yeah, we, you know, we were most of the founders, three of the four of us were really product people. Like that was what we loved doing. And if you would have locked us in the basement, and kept paying us, we and, and you know just let us keep going forever. We probably would have been happy to keep to keep doing that, having fun and innovating. But fortunately, the the fourth founder was really from the go to market side of the house, and very early on, he got us in front of a lot of prospects and customers and partners and just generally smart people who we could show our concepts to, and then those became our prototypes and those became our early versions and those evolved into our, our MVP and some of them evolved into our first customers. So that whole process, probably it was, it was a good year of, of heads down work on, on building the product. I think one of the good things was because of our experience, we kind of knew where at least a great starting point was. And so we were really focused on that. We knew that that was going to be something that companies would need. And so we really focused on those core pieces. And then as about a year into it, started getting in front of customers to get real feedback. And it was probably it was probably 18 months or so before we signed our first contracts. Now, you decided to bootstrap this business, at least for the first couple of years. Was there a particular reason that you took that route? You had a successful exit. So I... Presumably, funding wasn't a kind of a major issue for you guys in terms of getting started. But were there any other reasons why you decided that you weren't going to go and raise money? Yeah, I had the uh, incredible experience of being part of a startup that it wasn't my company. I hadn't started it, but a close friend had started and I joined very early on in the, in the dot-com days. And had the opportunity to sit front row and watch a business go from, you know, zero to a hundred miles an hour and then crash and go back down to zero again in a very compressed period, two years, something along those lines. And watching some of the investment left me with a, a feeling like, wow, that there just wasn't the kind of value add that you would expect. And there was some pretty bad behavior that sort of helped make sure this business wasn't going to make it. You know, I didn't see the whole picture, but I saw enough to, to be left feeling like, is that something we even really want to deal with? We are in a situation where we're fortunate enough we can get going with a small team for a while and then we'll bootstrap from there. And, you know, and all the goodness that goes along with, you know, no dilution and being able to make your own decisions and that kind of stuff. So we we fell in love with that idea. It was also, I'll point out, as you mentioned, 2009, 2010. So it was kind of Majorcrash.com, now our major crash of the Great Recession. So it's it was also one of those times where it wasn't the best fundraising environment. You know, the, the venture dollars had, had dried up, especially for earlier stage stuff. It was tough. So we just put our heads down and said, let's just go. And our our intention honestly was we'll go all the way and, and just keep going and, and and build the business that way. So you're building this product, you've been talking to potential customers, you're getting a sense of like where you want to take this business. And you also talked about how sales and marketing look like an area that you could just focus on and go pretty deep there anyway. You also decided pretty early on that you were going to target 
enterprise customers. And as you and I were talking before we started recording, there are a whole bunch of challenges that come when an early stage startup, particularly that's bootstrapped, maybe has even kind of more limited funding, is trying to go out and sell to enterprise customers. So number one, what was the reason that you decided that you were going to go direct to enterprise versus saying, you know, let's start with mid-market or something and we'll work our way up? And I want to kind of un- sort of un- unpack a little bit about what were some of the challenges that you've, you faced when you started to do that. So maybe just help us understand like the decision-making process and why you decided to do that. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the process you went through to actually get enterprise customers to spend money with you. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to say that it was, you know, a deep strategic discussion and debate and we had, you know, pros and cons. The truth is that we knew how to sell to big companies. We knew how to service big com- companies and, and enterprises and, and, and we knew how to solve complex problems. And that was our comfort zone. We knew what it t- took to sell to a large financial services company and to, you know, you know, huge manufacturers. And, uh, and that was our comfort zone. So we, we really focused on what we knew, you know, and I think I do remember going out when we did decide to take venture money and, and being asked, you know, consistently two questions when I went around up and down Sand Hill Road, given the pitch. And the two questions were, number one is you're going to move your whole team up to San Francisco, right? Because that's the only place you can start a company. And the second question was, you're going to do a freemium model, right? Because that's the business model, you know, at the time, du jour. And, you know, I kind of had to tamp down, tap dance around because our answer was no to both of those questions. But it was really what we knew and what we were comfortable with. And, you know, I also know at some point doing the math of, you know, how many $10,000 customers it takes to get to a million dollars in ARR. And, you know, I'm not a math whiz, but it's a lot. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with Bupos.com. And so focusing on those bigger deals, you know, something that also I think really helped our growth. So uh, let's talk about maybe the first big deal that you landed. Maybe we can talk about who the company was. If not, let's just talk just, just generally. But what was the process that you had to go through to to land that first deal? And then what were some of the, the challenges that you faced along the way? Yeah, I've always thought of it, as, you know, there's kind of a couple of different um, categories, right? It's, it's relatively easy to sell a small deal to a big company. You know, you'll, you'll look and you'll see certain logos, you know, on everybody's website, you know, because it's really easy. They're decentralized and you can get a small footprint there, you know, without a whole lot of work. It's relatively easy to get a bigger deal at a small company, you know, where the, they, they're not as structured about their decision-making process. You build a relationship and they'll say, yeah, we're all in with you. And, you know, you get a decent sized deal when, you know, the whole enterprise or something along that is, is only 500 people. 
the tough nut to crack is getting a big deal at a big company. And, you know, those decisions are made in a very structured way. They're made very slowly, painfully slowly. Sometimes they're made in the constraints of a budget that was created, you know, possibly when you were still in high school. And so, you, you know, you really have to work around all of those things to be able to get a big deal. There are also companies that are more risk averse, you know, for good reason, you know, big mistake, uh, a mistake for a big company is a big mistake. So they're more risk averse and the bars uh, is, is higher in terms of how, how that goes. So, you know, when we were focused, you know, some of our early wins were small footprints at big companies, you know, where they were willing to give us a chance, but then being able to leverage that and turn it into the bigger opportunity, you know, the million dollar deal, the, the $5 million deal, you know, that, that really requires a lot of engagement at, a, at an early stage. So, you know, for us, I remember we had a couple that, that come to mind and I, I probably shouldn't mention names, but we had a, a big customer in financial services. We had another one uh, on the technology side that, you know, took a chance with us early. A third one that uh, became our first million dollar customers was also obviously, it was also in the uh, uh, pharmaceutical space. So different needs, different sets of requirements. But really what we, we had to do is, is be willing to dive up in deeply with them, listen to what they, they, their needs were, balance what we wanted to build long-term for the benefit of all of our customers and, our, and the roadmap and the vision we had with what they needed in order to sign off on getting to that next scale of a deal. And so you do, you have to be nimble and, and agile in your product development. The art of not building things just for one customer, but adjusting your roadmap to be able to bring things sooner, perhaps, because they're very important to a particular customer who's willing to step up for a, for a big contract. You know, that's something that I think, you know, takes some practice and some patience and, and, and but is critically important if you want to get those first big customers in. So you said that you guys were comfortable selling to enterprise customers. So that's the direction that you took. But you were still a startup, new product, unproven. We still got that, that category positioning thing and explaining it to people. What were the kinds of objections that you were hearing initially from some enterprise customers? As we know that a lot of them are also very risk averse. So what were the top things that kind of look like the biggest obstacles you guys had to figure out how to overcome? Yeah, you, you got some that came from the business that really related to, are you going to be able to deliver? Because you're, you're probably not selling them something that you have that is complete in every way. And so you, you sell them the product that you have, you sell them through the pilot or proof of concept that they did, but you're also selling them on, here's what we're going to do for you over the next you know six months. So you really have to have credibility that you're going to be able to deliver on what your promises are and what you say you're going to do. You know, there's, there's, there's that whole category from the business side of, are they really, are they going to make me look bad? Are they going to make me look good? You know, and I can, they'll make me look really good because this is innovative and cool and no one's ever seen a, a way to solve this problem before. But boy, if I make a bunch of promises to my leaders and peers, and then it all falls apart because they can't deliver, I'm going to look bad. So it's weighing that equation with the business. And then you sometimes get from the, you know, from the compliance, if you will, side of the house, well, geez, you know, based on the spreadsheet you sent us, you're going to be out of business in, you know, any year, any year and a half, right? So for them to understand the, 
a venture world, the venture backed world. And, and some companies do, a lot of them don't, you know, that's like, well, what's your bottom line? What's your profitability? How, how much cash do you have in the bank? You know, they just do that very quick math and say, well, according to this, you know, you're going to be bankrupt in, in 18 months. Why should I take a chance on you? You know, you have that whole category as well. I found that most of those, if the business is on board and excited, you can get around, you know, the, the compliance side will flag it and they'll say, I did my job and I raised this. If you've got the right business sponsor, that, that won't be a blocker, but it can be pretty scary. I can also remember some of those big companies delivering, you know, the dreaded and security spreadsheet checklist with 47 tabs and a hundred questions per tab. And, and what seems like a foreign language of what those, some of those questions are. And, uh, you know, are you, you know, have you been through this certification and that certification, which in the early days, the answer is no. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, what does that mean? I don't even understand what you're asking me. So there's that whole aspect as well, which especially in financial services can be pretty intimidating and, you know, really getting the right expertise on your team to, to help you with that early on is another probably uh, piece of advice I would give to someone who was starting down that road. There was one day that nothing seemed to be going right for you guys. I think you described this as, as one of those moments where it was like, okay, is this over? This thing is done. We're not going to be able to make this dream come true. Tell us what happened there. It is amazing, especially in the early days, the, the emotional swings that you can have in startup land, you know, and uh, I think navigating through those is probably a, a key survival and success criteria for entrepreneurs. I, I doubt there's too many that uh, everything just works all the time. It certainly wasn't, hasn't been my experience. But I think what you're referring to is, I, I remember it clearly, it was, it was, it was a time when we had one of those huge swings because I, I woke up in the morning and, you know, it was early days. We had a few customers. We had gotten a, a demo with a whole bunch of executives at a very large insurance company. We'd worked really hard. Our business sponsor had really gone out on a, on, on a ledge to, you know, bring all of the key execs to the table with us for an hour and a half to do a demo and a dog and pony show. We had a pipeline with a couple of other really good opportunities, including including what would have been our first, you know, million dollar plus deal that was also partnership that would have brought a bunch of other revenue with us really would have put us, you know, put us on the map. And uh, so you wake up in the morning, you're feeling great. You're excited, a little bit nervous. And then remember the reason I remember it so clearly is it was, uh, it was leap day. So February 29th. And um, so we're, we, we walked into the demo and, and, you know, practice down in the lobby, in the Starbucks lobby, where you know we're doing our practice walkthroughs, everything's working great. We go upstairs and we get set up, settled in, signed in, you know, badged, connected in to the monitors and all that stuff. And then suddenly the, the platform started having all kinds of weird, weird issues. You know, just random things just weren't working or were giving weird results. And uh, you know, I started a little bead of sweat as you know the countdown timer started to when all those execs were going to show up. And uh, we're, you know, going on the side, going, tapping, going, hey, you know, back to our technical team back home. What's going on? You know, why are we having these problems? And they're, uh, we're trying to figure it out. We're on it. We're not sure. And it turned out that uh, our, our cloud provider had some sort of an issue related to the fact that it was the 29th of February, which, you know, doesn't happen except every four years. And someone had missed that, uh, that use case and they're testing and 
So we were getting very weird intermittent bugs showing up. And so the demo was was not what we wanted it to be. I did a whole lot of tap dancing and hand waving and we got, you know, we got through it, but it was it was clear that we had, you know, not maximized that opportunity and maybe we'd blown it completely. And then I remember my co-founder Ed taking me to the airport and a long, quiet drive back to Logan Airport. And the phone rang and it was one of that million dollar deal and that million dollar partnership that we were talking about. And I'm like, great, let me put it on the speakerphone. And like, at least we're going to get some good news here because we were right down to the final. And it said, you know what? We really thought about it and we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to build some of this stuff ourselves. And so in a period of, you know, less than a half a day, we'd gone from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And and uh, anyone who's ever made the trip from Boston to San Diego, you know, that's the longest, basically the longest trip you can take. It's an awful, long, long, brutal trip. Just thinking, I'm not sure if, if we're going to make it. So yeah, that was, thanks for making me remember that. Not, not really, I could have, I could have packed that one away for a, a couple more years and not had to remember it would have been okay. I mean, that's the kind of challenge that every founder faces at some point or another. And we always talk about founder grit, resilience and, and things like that. But as, as your company grows, and especially where you are now with you know a team of like 1500 people it's not just about your resilience it's also about how people see you behave in, in you know the 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 good times and the bad times someone once described it to me it's kind of like like these kind of cogwheels and and you know you as a leader is kind of like this little cog and you kind of make this kind of one degree shift and you think it's like no big deal, like in terms of your behavior. But the downstream impact is that there's a cog somewhere that's spinning like this, right? Because of what you just did or said or didn't say. And you, you told me that you sort of kind of had to think of yourself as becoming an emotional counterbalance for the company. What does that mean? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's something that changes too as you grow as an organization quite a bit. You know, I'm, I'm the kind of person I wear my heart on my sleeve. People close to me, they know how I'm feeling about just about anything at all, at all times. I'm not, I would be a lousy poker player. I don't even try. And, but as the organization grows, you know, you, you realize that people are watching and people that don't know you very well and that you don't know very well are watching carefully and they're watching your body language and they're listening to the tone of your voice. And, you know, that your words carry a lot more weight than maybe you think they do, or maybe more than even you want them to sometimes. I'm also the kind of person that thinks out loud. And so sometimes I'll go into a product meeting and say, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And then the next thing I know, the product team is like, well, Doug said, we got to drop everything and go do this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It was just an idea. So you, you, you do have to learn to be a little bit more guarded about what you, you say and how you say it and who you say it uh, in front of. And, and that's, a, that's a, a, an important uh, realization first and then a skill that you have to develop. But I do think the emotional counterbalance is uh, it's, it's real. And I think it's one of the hardest parts emotionally, you know, of the job because when things are bad, and you want to curl up in a ball and, and cry and, and, you know, yell and scream and whatever it is that you do, you've got to smile and you've got to be positive and you've got to point towards the successes and, and the path forward, you know, and you've got to bring positive energy and pick everyone else up off the ground. You know, you just have to do that. You can't let the company wallow and, and spiral down in a negative way. And on the other side of the coin, 
when things are great, you know, and, and you've had a killer quarter and of course you want to celebrate it, but you also have to bring the team back down to reality and, and say, don't get so full of yourself. You know, we won these three deals and that's great. And we had a great quarter and that's great, but you know, here's five things that we need to improve on and do better. So celebrate it, enjoy it. It's great to celebrate success. It's one of our core values, but you also have to bring the, you know, keep a foot on the ground and, and, and pull the, the rest of the crew back down and, and point out the problems that you have and, and all the things that you need to do to continue to improve. And that's, in, that's emotionally tough because you know, it's not, it's not normal. It's not what you want to do. It's not what's fun. You know, it's more fun to go lead the party from the front than, you know, throw ice water on it. But sometimes you have to do that. And, and, and that's an important, important part of the job. Now, when people listen to your story, they're going to look at, okay, Doug and his co-founders founded this business in 2010. They bootstrapped for a couple of years. They basically, in that first 18 months or so, were able to start getting the product out there and selling it. And from what started with relatively humble beginnings has now grown into a business that's doing 300 million, almost 300 million ARR. You've raised $450 million to date. You've got a team of 1,500 people. Kind of sounds like a great success story and, and everything went well. Maybe that day we talked about, that was the one bad day you had in the 12 years. When you look back at that time, what was one of the hardest parts of building this business and taking this journey over the, the last decade or so? You know, honestly, the first steps are the hardest. And, you know, I always say that I think a key to being successful as an entrepreneur is you can't be too smart because it's so easy to see all the problems and all the reasons why it's not going to work. And they're real. They're valid. There's a million reasons why it shouldn't work. And yet you've got to believe and you got to not, you got to be naive enough to think this is going to work and, and we are going to make it be successful. So I think that, you know, keeping your eye on the next set step, the next milestone, you know, breaking the big problem down into smaller problems. You know, if you would have set, sat me down 12 years ago and say, okay, you know, Doug, how do we build a $300 million business? You know, no clue, you know, but let's get this product built and let's go get the first customers. Great. We can do that. We can focus on that. And you, you know, you want to keep your eyes on the horizon, but you can't trip over that step that's right in front of you. And so I think as a team, as an organization, kind of occasionally looking up at that horizon and making sure you're going, you know, where you want to go and, and you believe in where you're ultimately going, but then you spend most of your energy on what, what's that next step and what do we need to do to, to make that next step, step successful? To me, that's the formula that's, that's worked. Awesome. All right. We should wrap up. I get onto the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've received? Do a great job at the job in front of you and, and trust your job, your, your, your manager, your boss, and you're gonna, your career is going to go well. What book you'd recommend to our audience? You know, it's an oldie but a goodie. I, I love the seven habits of highly effective people. I think there's some just really basic life, life lessons in there about knowing what you want to do and how to get there. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Yeah, unrelenting belief in your team and yourself and not being too darn smart to see all the problems that are inevitably going to get in the way. What's your favorite personal or productivity tool or habit? 
Ah, that's a good one. I I like to get up really early and have, uh, you know, an hour, half an hour to an hour of quiet time before the day starts to really collect my thoughts and think about what it is I'm, I'm, I need to accomplish. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? <laughs> I'm infatuated with, with the idea of transforming the food industry, and I'd love to get into the indoor farming space. I might be too late now, but I, I love that idea. Well, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? My, uh, my, first, uh, my first job was out of college was operating a nuclear power plant and training others on how to operate a nuclear power plant as a contractor working for the Navy. Wow. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I, I grew up in Ohio in farmland. My grandfather was a farmer and I moved out to California where, you know, you're lucky if you can scrape together a quarter of an acre. And, uh, but I built a nice little farm and I love getting out there and growing stuff and trying not to kill it. <laughs> awesome. Great. Well, well, Doug, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to chat with me today and, and trying to unpack this story of what's happened in the last 12 years. I, I think we gave people a good sense of the journey that you've taken, some of the challenges you had along the way, and where you've been able to take this business. At the same time, I feel like we only scratched the surface and there's so much more we could we could talk about. And maybe that's another topic for another day. If people want to find out more about Seismic, they can go to seismic.com. And if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably the best way is reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to make that connection. And, you know, it's a great, a great way to start and, and, and connect. And I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to do that. We'll include a link to your profile in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you so much for the opportunity and really appreciate it. It's been an honor to be on this journey. I get to stand in front of an incredible team that, that made this all happen. So thanks for, uh, thanks for giving me the, the chance. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture.
Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? Well, you're not alone. But the good news is you don't have to settle for slow growth. The right tools can be a growth game changer. And that's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This free guide cuts through the noise and shows you the 12 essential types of tools successful SaaS startups have used to get to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you find the perfect growth tools for your needs. So stop feeling stuck. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock the growth potential you've been missing. That's thesastoolkit.com.